I need a favor from somebody, and by the way, thank you very much. I, first of all, I have a staff here with me, part of them, and I don't know where anybody is. Somebody's supposed to read some scriptures for me. Is Max here or Roland here? Better get up here on the platform. We're going to fire you. Uh, who is this coming? I'm, you know, I don't have central vision. I do not read, and therefore, I believe this is Brother Max. Looks like him. Just have a seat there, and we'll give it to you in a moment. Uh, now, the next thing is, uh, it's warm in here to me. I met Brother Butler coming out there, and he was absolutely ringed with perspiration. And I do not feel anywhere, see where in the Word of God it says a preacher ought to keep his coat on and go out dying from perspiration just because of your dignity. So I'm going to take my coat off. As far as I'm concerned, I think I can be as dignified without a coat as I can with it, a lot more comfortable. And you folks that think the preacher ought to keep his coat on while he preaches just to supply your dignity, in my opinion, ought to be sued for cruelty to a bunch of dumb animals. Because... I don't find the word of God where it says you've got to keep the coat on. May I just say something that's on my heart that doesn't have to do with the message. Brother Percy asked me how long I needed to do what uh, the Lord laid on my heart, and he said take ten extra minutes, so you're going to get out on time. Don't worry about that. I was in Jacksonville, Florida, citywide revival, and a pastor got up and took the craziest offering I'd ever heard, but it has a lot of truth that ought to apply to every church in Camp Zion. He said he bought him an airplane ticket from Jacksonville to Los Angeles, and he went out to get on the airplane, and just as he got on the plane, a fly flew in the door, and when they closed the door, and they came around to serve the meal, he said that fly came and lighted on his plate and started eating his food. He said that fly had not paid any price, hadn't paid a dime for the ticket, hadn't paid anything for food, but he's riding the same airplane he was riding, and he said he was also eating the same food he ate. He said, all the way out to Los Angeles, that fly, every time he served a meal, that fly would come over to eat out of his plate. Finally, he said he landed in Los Angeles and started to get off the airplane, and that fly flew out. He said, boy, that made me mad. I paid the ticket. I paid the bill. The fly flew. The fly ate. The fly did that. Just a freeloader, that's all. And what he did there that I wouldn't recommend was, he said, now, we're going to take an offering here. And we don't want any flies riding free. He said, if you're going to eat the food and ride, he said, you ought to help pay the bill. He said, ushers, would you come forward to take the offering, please? He reached down behind the pulpit. I didn't have a thing to do with it. Handed every one of them a price water. <laughs> well, I would not go that far. But I'll tell you this much. And I mean this with all my soul. We are blessed at Camp Zion. No other place that I know of on the top side of God's earth is doing for the cause of Christ to stir up the brethren and the sisters as this Camp Zion. And honest, I think every one of us ought to pray whether or not we ought to have a part. I do not believe God wants Percy Ray to carry all the load of the finances. And I think there are many of us that ought to get on the load. And I'll tell you frankly, I've determined God helping me that I'm going to do more than I've done in the past and I want to get to where I can do it. And I think every one of us, somebody say, I can't give a thousand dollars. Well, you know, I, I loved that little boy last night that took that little, that uh, 
bucks and went around picking up money. That's yeah. right. That's right. I said, don't pass by this bunch over here. <laughs> you first get this bunch of speakers. And folks, you can do something. Everybody can do something. And we have, say, 2,000 people, 2,200 people coming. If we just, each one of us sacrificed a little bit and realized that the food costs money, the building costs money, the electricity costs money, and even though this man with such a big heart, heart bigger than he is, I don't see how it stays in his body if you don't know the truth, uh, says just come on, no charge, whatever. But you and I don't want to be flies riding the airplane eating the food without doing what we can. Now, if there's anybody that cannot, I know he would not want you not to be here. If you can't give a dime, he wants you to come. But those of us that can ought to do something about it. And I want to assure you that he would tell me, don't you say that. If I ask him what to say, that's the reason he didn't ask him what to say. I just said it across on my heart. Now, I want you to pray this morning. I heard something that bothered me a great deal when I got here. First thing I heard when I sat down at the table. And I have no idea who the man is. He said there's a certain person in the audience that was in the ministry and uh, now feels he's lost and feels he cannot be saved. I assume he's here today. He said others have tried to win him to Christ and said uh, he feels he's not saved. Then last night, five people came forward to be saved. And God began to grip my heart in the night and I said, Lord, what do you want me to preach about if I happen to be privileged to be asked by the person to preach again? The Lord laid a truth on my heart that I feel very keenly about, and that is, how can we know whether or not we're saved? And obviously, to know that, you've got to know how to be saved. So I want us to stand to our feet, and I want you to pray right now, everybody. I want you to pray that God will speak to my heart and tell me what to say. A blind man, of course, must depend on God because he can't read notes. I have this watch up here that I can see, and I promise to stick to the time my brother gave me and give him even back a little of the time. But I must depend on God as to what I say and the scriptures I use. So you just ask the Lord to please tell me, and if you don't mind, I'm going to cut this off till the man comes up to read, because he'll be reading over this two or three scriptures for us a bit later. Just pray, and I want to ask you to pray about something. You may be a deacon. You even may be a minister. And right in this audience, there's a young man that was the treasurer of a campaign I had in Royal Mississippi area last June, July, who was saved two weeks prior to that meeting of pastor. He's here today. There may be ministers here without Christ. And folks, this is a very serious business we're in. We're not playing religion. And I think everybody here ought to say, Lord, you speak to my heart today. And if I'm not saved, let this, 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 this be the day when I'll get saved. Would you pray that prayer? Would you, would you pray for others? That God may help people to know whether or not they're saved because many of us are in the church but not in Christ. Father, I beg you in Jesus' name that you'll be with us in this service this morning. Lord, if I know my heart, I have no other desire on earth except to bring the message that you would want brought to these people. Oh God, you know who's here today. You know who needs to hear the truth today. There may be some that have doubts in their hearts about the matter of their salvation. There may be others who have no doubts and yet who ought to have doubts because they have a profession but not a possession.
They may not be saved. And oh God, I pray today in Jesus' name that anyone in this building who does not know the Lord may come to find salvation and assurance of that salvation before they leave here today. Oh God, we pray that the Holy Spirit may come down in mighty convicting power this morning. Lord, I ask you to give me a message because I have no message except thine. If you don't speak to me, I cannot speak for thee. If you don't bless me, I cannot bless them. Oh God, we pray this morning that this may be a holy hour in which the power of God may fall upon every one of us. And for the answer, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, please. Somebody made a reference this morning, I believe it was Brother Allison, to the fact that 50% of our church members are not saved. Maybe it was Brother Butler. Dr. W.A. Criswell is said to have said, I did not hear him say it, but he doubts over 50% of the members of our Baptist churches have really been born again. Somebody said, Billy Graham said, that taking all churches into consideration, he doubts over 20% of all the church members have had a born-again experience. They're not saved. To me, this is a tragic situation. That we can be in the church, singing the songs of Zion, conducting Sunday school classes, carrying on a program for God, yet not be saved. Yet I believe that's possible. I myself was in the church five years without being born again. I led in prayer. I was the youth leader, yet I was not saved. And I've had many people in our churches who came to find that they had not really, they were not really saved. And I want to give you some scriptures this morning, very simple, no, nothing profound, but I hope you'll listen carefully as I try to deal with this matter as to how you can know positively before you leave this service whether or not you're saved, if you're not, how you're going to be saved this morning. My scripture is in 1 John 5, 13. Now you know, of course, that this passage, this entire five chapters of 1 John was written for the purpose of letting saved people know they're saved. 1 John 5.13 says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. And you listen to what he says. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Now the Bible says if we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ we're saved. Therefore he says in substance that you may be saved, you may believe on Jesus and the devil put doubts in your mind about it. So I think there are two things I'd like to see accomplished here this morning. First of all, save people that have doubts become settled, and people who are not saved but may not be certain about it or may have doubts about it get saved today. Because it's tragic, in my opinion, for us to be in the church not yet not in Christ. How can we not know we're saved? I want to deal with it negatively first. I ought to tell you, first of all, you can't know you're saved just because you're a church member. I go and ask a lot of people, are you a Christian? I'm a Baptist. I didn't ask you that, brother. Listen, I ask if you're, if you're born again. You can be in the church or not in Christ, just like I can be in my garage and not be a Cadillac. Listen, folks, being inside of the church doesn't make you saved. I believe, of course, the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body the spiritual body of Christ, but I'm talking about you can be a Baptist, a Methodist, Episcopalian, 
a Roman Catholic and fulfill you might miss one of them join the United Brethren and go to hell brother if you haven't been born again through faith in Jesus Christ how to tell in the second place you can't know you're saved just because you live a good life many people believe that the way to get to heaven is to live a good life have you ever heard anybody say if anybody gets to heaven my dear old mother will be there she's such a good woman if you mean by that that your mother's God to life gives evidence you knew the Lord, the Bible will back that up. But if you mean that your mother was such a good woman till God's going to save her because of her goodness, you don't know the way of salvation. But I don't care how sweet and darling your mother was, there is none righteous, there's no one can live good enough to get saved by the way they live. We're not saved by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by the mercy of God, says the Bible. Therefore, just because you live a pretty good life doesn't mean you're saved. Now, I've known a lot of good people, good moral people that live good lives. A lot of girls that are virtuous girls, and they're good girls, but they've never met Jesus Christ. Now, I want to tell you something. You may be the most morally upright person there is in, this, in your town, but if you have not repented of your sins and personally trusted Jesus, you're not saved. I don't care how moral and how obedient to God you may try to be. You know the Pharisees were pretty good people. They kept the law ritualistically. And Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, but he was on the way to hell before they met Jesus Christ. So you cannot know simply because of the way you live. Now I'll tell you, you can't know just because you've been immersed. A lot of Baptists think, man, I've been under the water, therefore I'm saved. Listen, brother, if all you have to prove you're saved is you've been under the water, you don't have salvation. You've no doubt heard B.R. Lakin, they used to preach here, say that you can be baptized in the creek so many times under the tadpoles can read the social security number out of your hip pocket. If you're depending on that baptism to take you to heaven, you're going to hell. Because Brother Baptism doesn't say. Baptism is for saved people. You can be ducked a dozen times and still not be a child of God. Well, I tell you, you cannot know you're saved by... Sincerity. You know a lot of people believe it doesn't matter what your religion is. It doesn't matter what church you belong to. doesn't matter whether you're even a Christian. You can be a Mohammedan or a Buddhist or anything else. As long as you're sincere, God's going to save you. And that's a lie. Brother, sincerity is a wonderful virtue, but it is not all that it takes to get to heaven. Did you know some of the most sincere people I've ever met have been people in foreign lands, heathen lands? Man, they were sincere when they worshipped their false gods, and yet they're on the way to hell. Because there's the one way to be saved, and that's Jesus Christ. Now, I don't care how sincere you are, if you don't know Jesus, you're lost. I heard a story said to be true. In fact, I read it in the Tampa Tribune of Tampa, Florida, years ago when I could read. It was said that this man, as a little boy, had the habit of flipping a somersault every night as a little boy. When he got married, his wife allowed him to carry this trick into his married life. So every night he'd come home and put on his bed clothes, his pajamas, and flip or something off of the bed. One night he came home late, his wife had gone to bed, and for reasons which all married men understand, he didn't want to wake his wife, so he quietly stepped into the bedroom, but put on his bed clothes, and started to get in the bed in the dark, but he forgot himself and flipped or something off of the bed. Now for reasons which no human being understands why you women do it, his wife had gotten busy moving the furniture all around. And that bed was not there. That man hit the dresser and it took 11 stitches in the hospital to sew him up. Let me tell you something, brother and sister. You may think you're on the way to heaven. You may think you're saved. 
But unless you are coming in God's way, the Bible way, the Jesus way, the blood way, the repentance way, the faith way, you're lost. I don't care how sincere you are. Sincerity is not all that God requires to be saved, although it's a wonderful virtue. Now to tell you something else, you cannot know you're saved by the way you feel either. Now listen, I believe in every religion you can feel. If I had a ton mule on my foot and the mule got off my foot, I would feel something. But the fact that I felt something does not necessarily mean the mule got off. Maybe the foot died while it was on it. Now to tell you, brother, I believe in a religion you can feel. I believe in emotion. But I ought to tell you that just because you feel something doesn't prove you're saved because if you think you're saved, you're going to feel okay. If you think you're not saved, even if you could accidentally be or maybe in spite of it, why you wouldn't feel anything. I say feeling is not a barometer of salvation. Furthermore, our feelings go up and down. People can't and don't feel the same every day. When I got married, in fact, before I got married, my wife had told me, like you told your husband, that when we got married, she'd be happy all the time. And one day I called her, called her crying after we got married, and I, I was bothered. I said, darling, what's wrong? She said, nothing. And after a while, I caught her crying again. I said, sweetheart, have I done something wrong? She said, no. Well, I said, what's wrong? She said, nothing. And you know, I got to worry, and I thought there had been more joy in the anticipation of having me than the have of the realization of having me. And I was a flop. And I worried until I found out that my wife wasn't lying. There doesn't have to be a thing wrong with a woman for her to cry. She cries because she's a woman. By the way, you guys, quit holiday men. Listen, that's the reason they outlive us. They get the feelings out. They don't hold them in until they kill them. But I want to remind you one thing. If she's crying for the sound effects on you, you better listen. But I mean, if she's just crying because she's a woman. That's her emotional outlet. People don't feel like the same every day. I used to, in revivals, people say, Brother Downs, I feel so good, I just feel like shouting, praying that every day I'll feel just like this. Can I tell you something? I won't pray that prayer because God answers my prayers. There is a time at Camp Zion when you could just shout and shout and shout and shout, but brother, if you did that every day for 40 years, you'd be an institution. See, God didn't make you like that. And by the way, the reason some of you Baptists need to know this, some of these folks shout so much is they don't get to shout at home. So they shout, they get the emotions out out here. And I'm telling you, that's wrong. I'm saying, though you can't know you're saved by the way you fail. Simply the way you fail. Feeling is a better barometer of your obedience to God than it is of salvation. I ought to tell you in the next place, you can't know you're saved by mere past experience. Notice the word I use, mere past experience. Some folks take the one way to know you're saved is to go back to the past. They'll get up to testify and they'll say, I know I'm saved. I was out there on a possum trot or a skunk collar or a chitlin switch and old brother Snodgrass got up and preached and I got saved. I remember when I got saved and the only proof they have is their memory. But I hear me, brother. It's wonderful to remember when and where and you got saved. But if the only proof you have you are saved is your memory of the past I question the sincerity of that past. If you had a past that was real, you ought to have a present that's better. Can I tell you the best proof I was born is the fact that I'm here. Suppose that I got to doubting I'd been born. I don't doubt it. But so help me God, I don't remember it. Now wait a minute, don't throw off on my memory because I was born at a rather early age. 
And I don't remember. But suppose I could remember and I went and said, I want to see the family Bible where it says I was born. What's the problem, son? I don't remember being born. It must not have happened. And they say, I tell you what, son, you go look in the mirror. You'll see more evidence of your birth than you ought to have. In fact, about 15 pounds more than ought to have. How do I know I was born? Because I'm here now. And I've got more proof of it than I even had that. Would I be a fool to pull up a little old baby bed, cloth in a baby bed, to look at a squealing baby in the twilight of yesterday's memory when I can look in the mirror today? Will Rogers, the humorist, went to get a passport to go abroad, and they said, we've got to have a birth him. He said, well, out in Oklahoma, Indian Territory, where I was born, we didn't have folks around making birth certificates. Why do you need one? They said, we've got to have proof you're born. He said, I'm here, ain't I? I'll tell you right now, brother and sister, you hear me. The best proof on earth that you are saved whenever you are saved is not your memory of the past, but the fact you've got some present evidences to give credence to the past. In other words, if you were saved, you ought to have something better now to show it than you have then. If you don't have any evidence now, you can only have some current evidence, I'd question the reality of the past. Now these are ways by which you can't know. I want to just give you now some positive ways and I wish I could read and have the eyesight quickly enough to read the scriptures so I could give you more of them. Talk about the love test, the life test, the lip test and all that. But I just must just confine myself to these three things. I want to give you the fraternal evidence of our salvation, the external evidence of our salvation, and the internal evidence of our salvation. First of all, I want to give you what I call the fraternal evidence of the love that God has put in our heart toward others who are saved. And I want you to mark these down or get the tape or remember them. And I want Brother Max Morris, and by the way, I'm often embarrassed to preach around him. He's the most dramatic preacher I know. And yet he's my assistant. That puts me on the spot to have an assistant can out preach you. Come up here, brother, please, and read. First John, now you listen, verse 14, chapter 3, for four or five verses. Now hear the word of it, please. Yes, sir. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. Hold it just a moment. Not because we love Southern Baptists, by the way. Or Independent Baptists. I know a lot of Baptists don't love anybody except Baptists. Brother, you'll get your salvation straight now. Go ahead. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. A little more. Whoso hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Another verse or two. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Next two verses. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. I hope you heard what God said. The way, one way to know you're saved is because God puts the love 
of God in your heart toward your brethren. That's what he says. Now, I'm going to tell you something, folks. If you don't love other people, you don't love the brethren, you don't love folks who are saved, then you better question whether or not you're saved. Yet there are a lot of folks that evidently hate their brother because if they stumble and make a mistake, they just sit around, throw mud at them, criticize them, gospel about them. That's not the word of God. You're not going to gossip about your mother or about somebody you love. You're going to try to support them with, with forgiveness, with the kind of love you ought to have. He goes on to say the kind of love that proves you're saved is not just the kind that loves the people of your particular denomination or your race. And I want to tell you something. This is a white audience. The Bible doesn't say we know we've passed from death to life because we love the white folks either. I'm going to tell you, brother and sister, if you don't love folks of all colors, all races, all creeds, you better check up on your salvation. No, where does the Word of God say that we know we're saved because we love the people of our race or our church, our creed, our cult, except to say because we love the brother. By the way, that's a generic term. By that I mean it applies to both men and women. doesn't mean just men. When the Bible uses the term brethren, it refers to women just as much as men. And he's talking about the fact they're spiritual, not because they are men or women. And I'll tell you, brother, listen, I believe with my soul that when God puts in your heart good salvation, you love. We've got a song we sang, old-time religion, makes the methods of the Baptist. Hey, that's good. But I tell you what, what we need even more than that, let the Baptist love the Baptist. Because I know some of them knifing at each other. Listen, brother. You ought to love each other. And the kind of love he talks about is not the kind that talks, the kind that walks. He said, if you've got goods and you ought to share with your brother. If Camp Zion needs help, you sit there and say, man, I love the Lord, I love the Lord, I love Camp Zion, and don't do what you can to help Camp Zion, you are hypocritical. And get many amens out of that, but so. Because listen, brother, the kind of love that he says is real is not the kind that talks, the kind that walks. Chinaman said the trouble with a lot of Christians is we got too much talky-talky-talky, not a walky-walky-walky. I'll tell you, brother, we ought to walk. In other words, prove that you love. It's illustrated by the experience wife and I had. We are born and raised in the country. My wife says, don't say that. People can just look at you and tell that. That's okay. How many of you are born in the country? Let's see your hands. The rest of you ought to be born again, I'll tell you that. Listen. But anyhow, listen. And I looked in a farm magazine after we'd been married and saw a cartoon that proposed to tell which of two husbands loved his wife. There were two panels of the cartoon. One panel had the husband eloquently with every known adjective telling his wife how much he loved her. But there was no wood in the stove, no fire in the wood box. But boy, he was sure shooting a line of love. The other panel had the husband out the wood pile chopping wood. And there was fire in the stove and wood in the box. And he hadn't opened his mouth about loving his wife. Underneath the cartoon, the big question was, which husband loved his wife? And the obvious answer was, not the one that talked about it, but the one that filled up the wood box. Now, would you think that I was dumb enough to show that to my wife? How dumb can a guy be? I went and said, honey, isn't this cute? And so help me God from that day till now, and I'm telling her how much I love her, and everything isn't up to par. She says, how about filling up the wood box? I'm telling you right now, the kind of love that proves you're saved, the kind that fills up the word box. Do you actually manifest your love? Well, I'll tell you two or three ways to know. If you love your brethren, you'll be in church with them to worship with them. You say, I love my brethren, I never go to church to love my brethren. You lie. 
Because when you love somebody, you want to be around. Because I went back to Orlando and for 12 months, I only went to see my wife once or twice. And I said, I sure love you, honey. She'd say, you ought to prove it. You tell me you love your brother and never dock the rose of the church. You love your brother and you don't move your letter to the church. You love your brother and you don't support the church. Listen, folks, if you love folks, demonstrate it by the way you laugh. The second thing, and I could develop that for an hour, is what I call not only the fraternal, but the external or the evidences that are on the outside that comes when you get saved. I want Brother Mars to read for us 1 John chapter 2, beginning verse 2 and 3. Let's not careful. Maybe it's 3 and 4, I'm not sure of that. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Now listen, brother, and I didn't write that. That's the word of God. He does not say we're saved by keeping the commandments. The Bible teaches we're saved by God's grace and not the works. But I want to tell you, brother, the salvation that is genuine has some works behind it. Therefore, James could say, you show me your faith without your works, I show you my faith by my works. For faith without works is dead. What is he saying? He says, if you say you know him and keep him up, that's the continuous tense of the verb. By the way, I'm not a Greek scholar. I want to... Leave it with no false impressions. I'm not a Greek scholar. All the Greeks I know run restaurants. But I want to tell you something, brother. I can read what the guy is saying. And the scholars tell us that word keepeth means contain. That does not mean a child of God may not stumble, but it means he won't live in sin. Now I'm going to tell you something, brother and sister. He says, he that says, if I know him, you say I'm saved. And you don't practice keeping God's commandments, you're alive. The truth is none. In other words, you're lost on the way to hell. Now you hear me. Now I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm trying to help you. Brother and sister, listen to me. If you have continued to lie after you thought you got saved, just like you did before, that's your practice of life, you have never been saved. If you continue to lust in your heart after the opposite sex, after you claim you got saved, you continue the same lust you had before you thought you got saved, you didn't get saved. You continue on your heart in habitual sin, you have no desire to get out of it, you continue to practice sin. The Word of God says you're not saved. Now keep in mind, I didn't say that, the Word of God said it. A lot of these folks that we think fell from grace were never in grace. Sam Jones, the old Methodist preacher, said, not ever possum under the tree has ever been up in the tree. I tell you, brother, you may think a lot of folks that fell from grace and lost their salvation and went back into the world had lost their salvation. The fact of the matter is they probably never had to begin with. Listen, I believe in the security of the saved. Not the professors, but the possessors. And I want to tell you something. The Word of God says, listen now, if you say you're saved and you don't practice doing what the Word of God says, you're not saved. Now, folks, that doesn't just mean don't commit adultery. Don't lie, don't steal, don't murder. It means all the rest of God's commandments. And I'm going to tell you, here's where many of us get in, in trouble. The Bible teaches that every born-again person ought to be a witness. Ought to be a soul winner. You better ask yourself, do I really love lost souls? Do I love Jesus enough to talk about Jesus, 
tell lost souls about Jesus? Do I disobey God's commandments continuously every day? And I know a lot of church members that join the church never make one single effort to win a soul to Jesus Christ. And I question whether they're saved or not. I'm, I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm just trying to tell you that this does not mean you've got a right to pick out one or two of your pet sins. And say, I don't commit adultery, I don't get drunk, I don't lie, I don't steal, therefore I'm saved. You better check up on the other commandments. Do you obey what the Word of God says? Do you practice doing what the Word of God says? If you say you have no sin, if you say that you're saved, and yet you do not keep God's commandments, He said you're a what? God's commandments is to witness. God's commandments is to love. God's commandments is to give. God's commandments is to do a lot of things that many of us aren't doing. I'm afraid that's where some of us are going to stand before the judgment. We're going to say, Lord, I didn't commit adultery. I didn't kill anybody. I didn't steal. I didn't lie. And God's going to start pulling out all the commandments of the book. Say, yeah, you kept those five or six, but you have a hundred more you didn't know anything about. And by the preponderance of evidence, you're convicted because you did not obey God. I don't care if you're a preacher or a deacon or a Sunday school teacher. If you don't have the evidence external of the fact there's been a transformation in your life since you've been saved, think you're saved, then you better check up on your profession. The last one I can give, and I'm not exhausting these. I really wish I could have about twice as long, but I must be fair with your time. Let you out of here, and I'm going to let you out. Don't worry. Now, these men are not leaving because they don't like my preaching. They probably don't like the preaching, but they're leaving to get your lunch ready. I'll preach to you boys at the dinner table. Listen. I'm sorry they're having to leave. Listen. Listen very quickly. I want to give what I call the internal evidence. The thing that's inside. And I want Brother Max to come and read. Now listen, folks. Listen now. 1 John 5, 13 is following what he's going to read beginning with the ninth verse. Now I want you to hear it very carefully now because I think this is the crux of the matter. Listen to reason, beginning verse 9. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. All right, now I hope you listen very carefully. Thank you very much. He says very clearly that the best evidence, I think it is, is the fact that you believe the witness that God gave, and this witness is in this book. My father was a man of integrity. If my father were living today, and my father wrote me a letter and said, Son, I'm depositing $500 in your account at a certain bank. Would I call that bank and ask if my father lied? Not if I believed my father's handwriting. 
The very moment I read that and knew my father wrote the letter, I'd say, praise God. I have $500 more than I have now, beginning about now. And you know what I'd do? I'd go out tomorrow and start enjoying it. I'd start spending it. I'd buy my wife the nicest dress I could find for $1.98. I'd enjoy it. Isn't that what the cost girl? Listen, boys, I haven't seen the money. But I have the witness of my father. How many of you believe this Bible is inspired of God? Let's see your hands. Now listen to me, friends. If this Bible's God's Word and you've done what the Bible says that you have to do to be saved and you have received Jesus in your heart, you've invited Him in. You're not trying to live it. You're trying to receive Jesus. Let Him live it through you. In other words, you have accepted Jesus Christ. You know you've believed on Him. You know you've trusted Him. You know He's your Lord. That's the best way in the world to know you're saved. How do I know I'm saved? Because I know Him in whom I have believed and am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Because he says, Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In repentance I call on him, not upon my goodness, not upon my church, not upon the baptistry, not upon what I did, but I called upon Jesus. God saved me. How do I know? Because God cannot lie. Titus 1, 3 says, In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. How? Do I know I'm saved? Because my God can't lie to me, brother. And I've done what the Bible says, and I know I'm saved. Now, I wish I could develop that point. Listen carefully, please. Do you know you're saved? Listen to me, friend. If I didn't know, I wouldn't sit there and say, well, I'm a Baptist, I'm a preacher, I'm a deacon, I'm a this, I'm a that. I would settle that matter because, folks, listen to me, the most crucial issue, the most important issue in all eternity to you is whether or not you are born again, whether or not your name is written down in heaven, whether or not you're going to be in heaven. Oh, my friend, listen. Half the virgins. And that parable of the ten virgins illustrates what's going to happen when Jesus comes in the kingdom. And exactly half of them are not saved because they had no oil in their lamps. And they were turned into outer darkness. Won't it be a sad day when people that sang the songs of Zion shouted in the camp meetings, enjoyed the things preached behind the pulpits, and then they hear Jesus say, I never knew you. Depart! I never knew you! I'm going to tell you, brother, that's a terrible thing. If I didn't know I was saved, you couldn't drag me out of this camp meeting this morning. And I want to tell you the glorious thing is, you can know. Because you see, it's not based on feeling or something like that. It's based on your accepting Jesus, confessing Him as your Lord. This could be the last opportunity some of you will ever have to be saved right here today. You heard yesterday morning about this. I believe it was your brother, wasn't it? Died of a heart attack. Listen, I've had many people in my meetings that were in my meetings that died suddenly. I was over in Jasper, Alabama in a revival. I always have a youth meeting before the main meeting every night in teen tent. That night after I finished the service, a young man, the team head service, came to me and said, Do you know about that boy that was buried out here in Parish, Alabama this afternoon? I said, You mean the high school boy that was killed? Yeah. What happened was this boy went out to ride with some young people. They got cutting up in the car. It went out of control, went into the pine tree and killed him. He said, Brother Daniel, that boy has been in every one of your services. He's been in all of your team meetings. He's been in your revival every night. And he planned to be saved every night. He said the night he got killed, the day he got killed, he promised 
the young people he was going to be saved that night. I said, are you telling me that young man buried this afternoon was lost? He said, that's right, he never came. That thing so impacted me, I went to the pulpit that night, did what I had no, no business doing. I used that for illustration. I said, just a few minutes ago, I was told a young man buried this afternoon, was here every night in this meeting, planned to be saved every night, didn't get saved. I said, oh, if I had known, we'd have one boy in this building without, without Christ that would be dead this afternoon. I'd have gotten on my hands and knees and crawled to where he was. I'd have begged him to be saved. About that time, oh, somebody jumped up in the center of the tent, let out the most horrendous sound I've ever heard. Brother Daniels, that was my boy. I said, Sister, I'm so sorry. I asked somebody to dismiss. I went back and pulled, leaving her husband out. I said, please forgive me. I wouldn't have hurt you for the world. She said, Brother Daniels, I agree with you. If I could have buried my boy this afternoon when I closed that casket, if I'd known he was saved, it wouldn't be so hard, Brother Daniels. But the heartache is, I don't know whether he's saved or not. You hear me this morning? Somebody here today may never again have a chance. You may die on the way home. That's the truth. I'm not trying to be sensational. You have no assurance of tomorrow. And folks, if I didn't know, if I didn't know I was saved, I'd settle it today. Please do it. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Now you listen to me. I'm not going to hurt anybody, but you know what? It's not going to take a long time. But I would ask you something. Why don't you listen now? Please. You're standing before God, not before me in this matter. How many of you here today, and don't you lift up your hand if you don't know it because you know good and well you're being hypocritical. How many of you can lift up your hand and say there's no question I know I'm saved. Let's see it. Come on. Take it down. I won't embarrass the others anymore than I did those. How many of you lift up your hand and say, Brother Daniels, I'm not certain about it. I wish you'd pray that I can be settled on it and saved. Let's see your hand. Come on high. Come on now. All over the building, I see many hands. Wave them a little bit, please. I see movement, not otherwise. Wave them a little bit, please. Come on. Will you do it? Please hold them up. Don't take them down. Please do it. Anybody else? I don't care if you're a preacher or a deacon. Listen, folks, better get saved. You say they'll laugh at me. No, they won't. They'll admire you. They'll shout God, praise this God for it. Keep your hands up, will you? Since I do not see, would all of you who have your hands up stand to your feet that I might see you better? Come on. Just stand to your feet. I want to pray for you in a minute. Come on. Everyone that says I want to be saved, come on. Listen, folks, many of you, yes, just stand to your feet. Yes, I see many of you back there. Listen to me, friends. Oh, listen to me. There are many of you that say, Brother Daniels, I'm just not certain about it. Listen, friend, if you're not certain, stand to your feet so I can pray for you. Will you do it? Come on right now. Will you do it? Just stand to your feet wherever you are. Come on. Listen to me just a moment. Look at me now. Just the one standing. Look at me and listen. I, wanted, I want to do something. We've got counselors in this camp that are trained to pray with and talk with you. I want you that are standing to come down your knee at one of these altars and I want the counselors to come and kneel by you and pray with you. Come on right now. Come on right now. Just come on down. Don't be ashamed to do it. I tell you, if you can settle salvation here today, it'll be the greatest thing ever happened. Come on right now. Many are coming. Maybe a dozen, two dozen. Come on quickly, please. 